The following podcast is presented in audio format only. Therefore, viewer discretion is strongly advised. Welcome to Unhinged, the podcast that will have you going mental as we talk about life and all its twists and turns. With your hosts, the guys from the Blue Room. Yes, Doug and Ed. And now, Doug and Ed. Welcome everybody to our podcast. Good to have you back. Good to have myself back. Good to have Ed back. Thank you. Well, I was looking over a list of notable people who have or have had major depressive disorder. This is a very deep, insidious depression Mm -hmm. to be labeled MDD. So you got names, I'll start with the A's, Alan Alda, Buzz Aldrin, Woody Allen, um, Isaac Asimov, to the B's, Alec Baldwin, Christian Bale, Maria Bamford, Ingmar Bergman, Halle Berry, William Drake, John Bon Jovi, Terry Bradshaw, Wayne Brady, Delta Burke, Robert Burton, Barbara Bush. So, okay, that's a lot of people, and you're still in the Bs. They are famous people making lots of money with, you know, great lives. And most people, and and me included, up until, you know, the past several years, and I've and all my reading and my research and all this on the subject, you know, I always thought, well, if you have that much money and that much, I mean, there's no way. I mean, because you could buy happiness for God's sake, you know? Yeah. No, but I've come to realize, and I could tell you for sure, I don't care how jealous I am of these rich, famous people, doesn't matter what you have, just as if, you know, it doesn't matter what the weather is like. It could be, I could be in Fiji with, you know, uh, scantily clad, beautiful women fanning me with the band in the background, <laughs> me holding a, um, you know, a fruity beverage, and doesn't matter where you are. It's a part of you. It's not, it's, it's actually just the way you are at that point. Yeah, I mean, I have nothing. So you could see, okay, well, this guy wouldn't choose to be like that. So I can even empathize with these people now rather than say, oh, he's rich, oh, forget that. You know, I, you know, instead of being pissed about it, you know, people say, well, how could you be depressed? You know, I'm sure it's even harder in, in a sense for them in that respect than it is for me. It's clear to see what I don't have. Look at my resume, <laughs> you know, uh, but for them, think about that kind of pressure. Uh, yeah. That'll turn them to, to the needle. But do you think, so? I mean, some of them might be neurological in nature and, and not be caused by any outside influences. Yeah, and, and I'm sure that, you know, they know that they got to book them for, they got a nine-movie deal. We got to get all the doctors in the world and even Dr. Phil is on board, I'm sure. You know, so they got the best of resources, I'm sure, yeah. insurance or not, et cetera, no matter where they are in the world. Now, there's, there's another interesting angle, though. Uh, since these are people in the public eye, um, can they actually medicate, like get a prescription from their doctor for something like um, like ketamine, uh, which is something I know you were on at one point? Yeah, but it, it doesn't, major depressive disorder, you don't necessarily get into that kind of treatment. That's talking about treatment resistance. I uh, see. So, so, but there's other, there are other uh, drugs that uh, they might 
take that affect their performance, wouldn't you think? That's well, that's true, and I think you may see that reflective in certain part of their lives and you know in their careers as well, and maybe a period of uh, time. Like for instance, Jim Carrey's on the list, and um, if you've seen him in recent times, he's kind of lost it. Yeah, uh, and that's got to be tough too because I mean he's on, he's on, just like Robin Williams was when he was on, he was on. Mm-hmm. You know, magic happens. Right. And when that dies, boy, I mean, then tension drops. The pressure must be really high for these, these people. I mean, they have to follow up, like, very famous things they've done in the past and have to keep getting better or they'll lose their audience. It's almost like career Alzheimer's. You know, it's it just gets worse and worse as time goes on, you know. And, yeah, and I'm sure it's profoundly affected them. Uh, for me, I've never had anything, you know, at least they've had some of that, you know, I mean, Jim Carrey can't complain if he died tomorrow, but he's, you know, been yeah. involved with and accomplished and, you know. Right. Uh, and he's that's, just a genuine natural. But that's not going to, any of the good around his life doesn't seem to help the the overall problem. Right. But this is, a, you know, this list is profoundly huge. And also goes back to, you know, again, these Isaac Asimov, these uh, classic writers. And, you know, it's Mm -hmm. did we know back then that they had major depressive disorder? No, Uh, they they drank a lot back then and they (laughs) said a lot of self-medicating all throughout the list, I'm sure. Um, Eric Clapton. I mean, just uh, I can go on and on and on. You wouldn't believe the, the, the amount of people that are affected with this. And now it's coming to light and people are coming aboard and jumping aboard the bandwagon and thank god there is a bandwagon yeah well i mean if that's the percentage in in of people that uh that are depressed that are famous uh i would assume that translates to the general population there's probably a lot more a lot more people that are that suffer from this than you you would even i mean you probably know some yeah, I'm reading 10% of this humongous list, which is 1% of the world, you know, yeah. or less, you know. Right. So, yeah. So now open up the world and imagine how many people are affected by that. So. Yeah. yeah. And not only the person it's, uh, themselves, but the people around them, their friends, their family, everyone gets affected by this. So, you know, the fact we're talking about all this new incredible technology is because there are many on this list that have taken their own lives uh, because it was before the times of all these different types of treatment that could save a lot of lives. And uh, how many suicides do we need until we get this train a rocking? You know what I mean? So hopefully Robin Williams was a big one and, you know, uh, and his legacy will remain. And, and uh, uh, I'd love to see his name make that impact. Yeah, the, the the problem is that, uh, you know, he should have gotten more treatment or gotten more help um, because he obviously got to a point where, you know, he couldn't handle it anymore. Well, he, he you know, he was, you know, as far as self-medicating, he was pretty much the king of self-medication mm-hmm. and uh, was a major cocaine addict and alcoholic, major alcoholic and to the day died, you know, and he couldn't self-medicate anymore because I think he had his fourth bypass surgery by that time, you know, so, and he was in the middle of a tour 
And uh, I remember watching the tour, too, and, and seeing him on stage, you know, all gray, but he was still on as with as much energy as before, but he had a table set up. He was sweating like a mad dog, and he had a table set up with, it was at least 20, 30 water bottles, you know. <laughs> so, wow. you know, he was just kind of given his last gasp as it, as yeah. it uh, ended up. You know, but he went out strong, uh, and hopefully there won't be too many more that to, you know before they can try a thing like DBS or whatever comes next. Yeah. Now let's let's get into the uh, the ketamine trials that you were that you participated in. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit in passing in the past, but uh, or you you. I brought it up, but it. yeah, we haven't gotten into detail yet. It's still it's still a lot of studies, uh, active studies going on right now. It started out uh, as a compound medication, you know, uh, basically putting it in a powder form with water and whatever other things they put in there. And now it's done intranasally, uh, intravenously. Um, it's a horse tranquilizer. It was used as a horse tranquilizer, but it has its dissociative effects, mm-hmm. um, which they believe... Um, can have an antidepressive effect and kind of change the brain's perspective. Uh, and then ha- after your dissociation, which ketamine, by the way, stands out from the other <clears throat> um, dissociating type of medications uh, or um, you know psychedelics in the past, as it were. Um, ketamine's unique in that. Uh, you can only have it every 72 hours, every three days. I'm not ashamed to admit I experimented with this theory. Um, huh. But, you know, if you took it the day after, it has zero effect. Uh, you, you must wait that amount of time, uh, and then it, you will have another dissociative effect. Interesting. So, so you yeah. need a break in between for it to be effective. Otherwise, it yeah. doesn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't go deep into, oh, I did in the past, but my memory, uh, short term, is a little bit funky, as you know. Um, but, you know, as far as the, uh, the biology of that and, and why it is, uh, you know, how it leaves your system, et cetera. But, yes, yeah, so, so it's every 72 hours, so people are dosed usually once or twice a week. Uh, so I did it in a nine-week study and obviously was interested in the dissociative effect because, of course, my first instinct was self-medicating. Right. But, but I still was going in for the intention of finding a solution to this whole thing. So, yeah, that's number one. Mm-hmm. But, of course, my, my interest was piqued uh, in the, on the other side of things. But, really, it was focused on, on treatment. And, and, you know, they're very careful with dosage on this. You know, you got to go yeah. slowly so you don't, you know, have somebody have a major. So you're monitored. You go into a room, at least for the first couple of times, you're monitored. Um, it's about a 45 minute wait and then it comes on and it's about a about an hour's worth of dissociation so many people you know like lsd would see colors or tubes or just out of body type experiences Um, but the main point is after the dissociative effect it seems to have for some people about a week or two where it kind of lingers in in the system with an antidepressive effect so their systems were uh, the symptoms, rather, were, um, were quite a bit improved in many different areas. 
So unfortunately for me, I felt the dissociation, but I, it didn't linger and didn't last afterwards. So walk us through the process of how you were actually administered uh, the ketamine during the trials. No, well, like I said, I was there monitor. So yeah, I was just, no, I was in an uh, office. He would administer the medication. You, you basically you do it stumbling, you release, you want to leave it sort yeah. of in that uh, pocket in your bottom lip, the inside bottom lip, and mm -hmm. let, it, let it, that's where uh, medication will absorb quickly, uh, quickest. And then it's quite a, quite a spicy meat the ball. It didn't taste very good, but... Uh, really? Uh, yeah, but uh, then you let it, you know, you swallow it and you wait a certain amount of time and they just put the lights down, sit you in a laid-back recliner um, and you wait and, you know, they just didn't want you to really get up because mm -hmm. once it hits you, it's almost, it hits, start, starts to hit you as if you've had like five or six drinks. Wow. So if you get up, you can get very... Uh, disoriented um, so I did it a couple of times um, there so they could uh, you know we can get the dosage right and then I then I did it at home myself and we I'd check in with the doctor and uh, which was a very interesting to me in the um, self-medication department because you know I went to the pharmacy to pick up this medication which actually is not covered uh, under most of my medication or basically all of it is covered I right. get them free here yeah. through Disability and Health Canada. <laughs> Compound medications, however, are not covered, especially mm -hmm. ones of this nature, uh, being that it's a trial. But it was basically it was a compound medication. Um, so it was expensive for me, and that's why I stopped. I would have probably continued a little bit longer to see you know, if there was some hope there. But, right. uh, but I think we, we pretty much we did a nine weeks of it, um, you know, and... Again, it didn't have that effect for me, but it's, it's still become, uh, uh, it's still been successful with a lot of people. So dur during the dissociative state, uh, did that bring any uh, relief at all? Yeah, I mean, I, afterwards I thought, whoa, you know, I was thinking a little different and, you know, it was, it made me think that's true and that's part of it and part of their, they're trying to accomplish, but again, it didn't last. And that may be all the cognitive distortion that's built up throughout all the years and all the negative tapes that are playing in your head. And I've just recorded some, you know, masterpieces, I guess. Mm -hmm. So they unfortunately are stronger. I don't know. And I think that's something that they're continuing to, uh, to learn in their studies and the data and the different types of people they're, they're using. Well, the, uh, the idea of psychedelics um, is that it makes different parts of the brain communicate that don't normally communicate, and that's what creates these uh, effects. Um, yeah. And that actually ties into with the story that we found at, in the uh, Huffington Post. Well, it's time to break for the news, then. Time for the news. <laughs> So this week in the news, we, uh, we found a story in the Huffington Post UK. Uh, the, the title is The Coming of Age of LSD. Oh, by the way, I just got a, we just got another follower, Tommy Chong. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's just a, it's a subject matter. got his attention. Um, so the Beckley Imperial Research Program uh, has been doing studies uh, with different psychedelics 
In 2005, they started with cannabis, uh, and they're using brain imaging technology to uh, be able to see what parts of the brain lights up uh, when they're taking different substances. And so in 2005, they studied cannabis. In 2009, uh, they studied uh, psilocybin, which is uh, the ingredient found in what they call magic mushrooms. Wild mushrooms. Yes. Uh, and used, then used up here with the, uh, the natives um, in the fall is when it grows up here in Canada, northern Canada. So the natives still uh, eat their mushrooms and really have their, their the same classic rituals. Is, is it illegal? You know, I'm not quite sure. I, I don't know. On the Indian reservation, I gather it would be different as far right. as legality. Yes. But I don't know the specifics. That's something I'll look into. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll have to uh, find out. Curious, yeah. Um, so in 2014, they got the approval to, to study LSD. It's, it, it, apparently, it's been very difficult for them to get approval for an LSD study. Um, I wonder why. Yeah. The states are not the only uh, ones with stubborn lawmakers. <laughs> right. Um, so... They in this in this story, um, they announced that uh, the the results of their study with LSD show that uh, the increased communication between the different parts of the brain uh, are really starting to talk, and uh, it makes the people that uh, are taking this uh, more flexible uh, and open to new concepts and ideas, and that's kind of the point behind their study for. Uh, with psychedelics. Interestingly, their pilot study with psilocybin showed that after only two treatments, patients with severe treatment-resistant depression actually experienced lasting relief. Uh, they think it's brought about by the change in network connectivity that the psychedelics cause during treatment. They want to use these results to try to lift the negative stigma that surrounds these types of drugs. I think that's a good idea. I think it needs more study, personally. It does, as as ketamine does, but it's a, you know you're you're basically saying the same thing as I did in more technical terms, um, and how how it profoundly affects parts of the brain. Yeah, it's a good thing that they're they're doing these studies um, with brain imaging and and trying to to see what they can do. Uh, I mean, they they know these are powerful drugs and they know it affects the brain chemistry, and if they can hone in on the right. Uh, formula to, to, to actually help people with uh, treatment-resistant depression. It, it just it deserves more study. It does, and, and we root for them in, in that they do it in, in the most you know, clinical, proper you know, ways, just as a trial needs to be done so right. that they can basically, quote-unquote, sell it to the rest of the world. Yep. And uh, people know that this is done just as any clinical scientific research is done. Yep. Data in, in proper configuration. Very well said. Thank you. <laughs> Interestingly enough, in how the brain works and, and what controls what, uh, just a little bit of a brain 101, but you know, we do have two hemispheres of the brain, and we used to say, oh, he's very right brain, very artistic, and very language-oriented, and he's very left brain, very math, very physics, mm -hmm. you know, which is a rash generalization we know a lot more about the brain now but there are some 
interesting and unique qualities depending on the right and the left hemisphere of the brain if you're thinking the frontal lobe um, what does happen is if when you're learning something new maybe mm-hmm. you're just learning guitar or some kind of art or what have you something new your right brain is initially what's active and then once it becomes a practiced learned behavior and you're uh, you're doing it uh, more routinely the left brain then becomes active Interesting. So it's like so, a transfer. Yeah. And, and what is active and what is not. So there's clinically roles depending on the different sides of the brain, which obviously vary, but that's a um, general fact about the brain. Well, that's good to know. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, we're in front of a live studio audience today. Yes. And Arnold is here, actually, the former governor. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he comes out once in a while. Yes. So, but why don't we uh, talk about, um, as we left college, let's go back to, say, the year 1991. Syracuse University, 1991. We're getting ready to graduate. What were you thinking? What was in your mind? What's in a regular man's mind or young man's mind as he's getting ready to face the world? Well, you know, uh, to be honest, I was. Uh, there were a couple feelings. One was... Don't lie to me. <laughs> um, I, I felt excited because I could finally start being an adult and, and you know, doing my own thing, getting my own place getting a job, you know, all that stuff. Uh, at the same time, it was also very scary because money is not easily uh, gotten when you're that young and, and you, you have to find a job and, and um, it, there's a lot of pressure there. So did you feel at that point in your life more confident? And so you had maybe a nervous energy, but it was a positive energy? It was. I think it was because... Um, I had graduated, I got my degree in communications, uh, studying television and film production uh, specifically, Um, and I was starting to look around for jobs in that field, uh, video editing, uh, video production in general, and so that was exciting because I, I was thinking to myself, oh, how cool would it be to find a really fun job like that and actually get paid to do what I like to do? So yeah, it was it was a nervous positive energy, I think. And that's great and that's I guess that sounds very normal and very good, very positive normal. I mean, for me, you know, when I think about a memory or or an experience that I've had, it it always seems to be that you know, I never was in control. Again, it's that control factor and I never had that sense. It, it's almost as if I was looking at somebody else living their lives, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not being a part of it, not, you know, there's like a disconnect. Right. So it's almost, you know, like it didn't happen to me and you realize it afterwards, like I was a step behind or it's hard. But I know that uh, for me, if, if I were to have felt anything, I don't remember specifically uh, a lot of that is memory loss, but I'm sure it was sheer panic, <laughs> fear. Uh, I definitely could picture the devil's advocate in my head. 
Behold, I send you out as sheep amidst the wolves. Well, it turned out to be just that scary. Um, now I'm thrown out into the world with what turns out to be a serious learning disability and an unrelenting, unmerciful, unwielding neurological disease. And just try and picture that you lock yourself in a dark room, cover the windows, and you self-medicate and try to survive. And you're just, you know, barely getting your head above water for 30 years. And basically, most of your life ends up getting flushed down the toilet. It's a long toilet flush. It is. <laughs> but it was a long 30 years. Long, but it was not. But now it is. And I want my 30 years back. Yeah. I'm not leaving until you give it back to me, Ed. <laughs> yes, because I stole it from you. We know it's the, it's the disease. Well, I know it's the disease. I mean, I, I'm sure there were times when uh, people would say, you know, that you're you're acting a certain way or I can't believe you did that or whatever. Uh, and so so they blame you for certain things that you know is is actually the disease. And they see the other part of you that has the intelligence and so you can't put the two together. It doesn't make sense because the hardest part is it's it's an invisible disease. Yeah. You know, and you're trying to just survive so you're using your survival instinct to stay because sociologically, if you don't try and stay with the group, you're going to end up this crazy lunatic outsider, you know? Mm. So it's, it's a, it's, it's just a horrid situation. So I understand, you know, it's, we can't put ourselves in the other person's shoes very easily at all. So I can't blame the outside for their reaction to it. But, once you realize, you know, the, the, the key to, for us to get out uh, of this show and about what we're trying to do is, is make people see it. I mean, you right. have to give that person the benefit of the doubt. Yep. You know, who would do this to themselves for 47 years? I mean, it's impossible. Yep. You know, is it, you, you, one way or the other, they're sick. Whether they're doing it against you or for you, it's nothing to do with everybody else. It's, you're just trying to stay above water. And that's right. all you can handle. There comes a time when you just have to realize, yeah, yeah, this isn't, this can't be how this person wants to live their life. It it has to be something outside that that's causing it. Right. So we got to get to the point where we don't need this major famous celebrity to die to sell this damn thing. Right. I don't want to sell this. I'm not. I, I I don't need to sell this. There's nothing to sell. It's horrid. It's I'm the victim. Sell me on getting better. Yeah. And ironically, you know. if, if it had some sort of outward visual sort of sign, like if you were in a wheelchair or, or something like that, then people would understand, oh, we have to help him. It's a sickness. He can't control it. It's, it's not his fault. And that's exactly the way I've put it to you over these many years and even put it to the other people that I care about in my family. Um, all these years. So you don't want, I don't want people close to me to feel the pain. I want quite the opposite. Hence doing mm -hmm. the show. Uh, instead, just to understand that this is the disease and there shouldn't be any 
direct judgment from from the other person you know i mean who would judge somebody uh who had cancer or you right. know was in a bad accident or a stroke and you know they can't move the left side because neurologically there's an issue right it's ain't no different just as i talked about alzheimer's just yeah they're both neurological diseases when it comes to this particular type of depression and we're going to have um Nareet Adler, who's a psychologist uh, locally here in Toronto, who I've worked with for since I've been here for the last nine years or so. And she's going to come on the show, actually, on an upcoming podcast, and, and she's going to get into that exact subject matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and to understand, and, I, and I've been over this with her a few times, that depression, quote-unquote depression, is one thing. It's a psychological illness that can be treated, easily treatable. Not pleasant, but easily treatable. And then you come to treatment-resistant depression. That's why we kind of rather TRD, because the depression part is what throws people off. It's not the same thing. Right. It's almost like you had, you know, type 1 diabetes or type 2 diabetes, you know, childhood or adult diabetes. You know, one's much more deadly than the other. Yeah. So, you know, we have to look at it that way. Before we go any further, I do want to say that we've, uh, in our young life here on the podcast, we've already gotten a lot of feedback and some all positive, great feedback. Um, and our audience is growing very rapidly, and I've learned that it includes my family. Um, right now, we're kind of in a disconnect um, as I suffer through this, but um, I did get a a nice note from my nephew, one of my nephews. Um, and uh, it's great to know they're listening and I'm, I'm trying to make every effort I can to reconnect and get communication better. Kind of hit the reset button and, and uh, continue communicating with my family. Uh, That's great. Important for me. Yeah, it's, it's very, you know, this, is, this affects the family uh, in every major depressive disorder case. And in this case, you know, it was a lot further than that. It's very hard for them, I'm sure. I know it now, especially. So, mm-hmm. so it's great. Uh, it's all good. And um, well, I'm glad that the uh, the show has had uh, at least that sort of impact for you. That uh, uh, you can start trying to open those doors again. Well, it's helping my memory flex a little bit. Uh, helping my perspective and uh, you know I've had a better week this week um, and it's it's shown what I've sort of gotten accomplished and um, I just hope it lasts I just sit and pray it lasts and that's why my mm-hmm. life is day to day tomorrow morning I could wake up back in the severe category and then it's just you know you go from all right I can breathe a little bit to a living hell yeah so um I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, I just got to hope. That's all. And continue hoping and continue fighting. But I, I thank everyone who's listening. And uh, I hope this is positive for everybody. That's our intention. Yes. And, and I, I actually said uh, something similar in a blog post I did on our site uh, regarding uh, the, reason, the reasons that I do this podcast and uh, how, how it's affected me. Uh, so yeah. If- and that's kind of pointed our direction and into this podcast uh, because I, I really enjoyed reading that and um, and getting your perspective and 
that's why going back to college days and sort of seeing where your mind was when we left. Yeah. Um, something to start with, sort of to go from there. Right. Uh, but I'm going to continue also to post uh, and try and share my feelings and kind of chronicle, you know, things as they go and progress and, mm-hmm. and hopefully see it in a positive direction. But it can only help at least to recognize the patterns and the, the time frame of, of, of the progression of the disease. Yeah, and we've noticed that um, because it, when we recorded our last episode, uh, it took us a few tries uh, because you were, you know, having some some dark times, um, mm-hmm. and so it took us three time three attempts to record that podcast. And when we finally did, uh, we decided let's just you know re- talk about your feelings and and why you know we've we've had to restart this a couple times. Uh, and I think overall that helped you, um, and and I think the show was better for it because you were able to open up uh, and share that. Yeah, it, it you know you have to at least knowing that you're you know this could you know this fluctuate at any day uh, in a day's time, uh, knowing that you've got this, you're better today. You, you're mm-hmm. clear. You've got some will, some energy, something to work with i've got to act on it i've got to do it yeah Uh, so and that's what i'm doing so i i'm trying to cause a chain reaction you know Mm -hmm. i'm taking magnesium supplements and i'm taking vitamins and i'm eating better i'm cutting on aspartame and you know i've done this before there's Mm -hmm. been for the next morning i wake up and it's just like uh screw everything and go to mcdonald's and you know just boom it's gone but i'm hoping to build on it and, Mm -hmm. and get the dbs going and turbo boost this mother so I can get some quality of life. So is that, is that, uh, part of what you're, you're attempting here is to actually kind of reboot your, uh, DBS to, to kick in again? Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, if I say to the doctors, you know, I want to kind of give it a turbo boost. I mean, they're sure. Yeah. <laughs> they mm-hmm. don't have any data to suggest it, it. It's good. It's bad, but obviously, um, Again, there's so many different theories on, mm-hmm. on t- and the cause of of such resistance, um, whether it be inflammation uh, of the you know, and they're talking about inflammation in a lot of articles now. Mm-hmm. That's causing treatment resistance is inflammation in the brain, tied to the body, and you know, um, that's why they're they're you know playing with also doing trials on anti-inflammatories and mm. uh, those types of things. So. Um, there's just a lot of different uh, ways it can go. So obviously, the more you can do, the better things instinctually for the body. Right. Getting more exercise, being more active, trying to eat better, and just try to. Well, just be know, healthy. Uh, being healthy just makes you puts you in a more positive state of mind. Uh, so again, that's why I'm trying to jump on it when the opportunity is there. Because if, again, you're in this, I know I say it over and over, but you're in that severe category, it's not possible to do any of it. Yeah. And you will completely turn the train around and you'll be going in reverse. And reverse is bad because it happens much faster than the other way. Yes. So, uh, so I'm jumping on it and trying to just, trying to get some control on this ship, you know. Yes. It's neurological, but the more I can believe, maybe... The psychological, the neurological, they can sit down, have a coffee together, and get on the same team. Well, <laughs> and I, I don't drink coffee, but <laughs> get my point. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I know everyone is pulling for you because, uh, you know, uh, this is just a, a horrible disease. And, and when you are up and you are happy and you're having a good day, you, you say positive things and, uh, you know, just the interactions with you tend to be funny and uh, friendly. We've had a good and, time tonight. Yeah. We've had a no, good time well, recording I, this this show, um, for sure. No, I know exactly what you're saying, and, and I I want to hug my family right now. Yeah. I have that feeling, uh, and the disease in its severe state is is a demon, and it doesn't care about anything. Yep. Uh, and I I can't I can't even communicate properly, and I'm in communications. You know I <laughs> I you know so, so I, I love my family. I want to send this out to them and and know that. Uh, I'm trying my best to turn this ship around. It's a lot of work, though, because you know I've got nieces and nephews, and they're getting married. Mm-hmm. I miss birthdays and and weddings, and you know all yeah. these things and all these regrets. And I've got a a lot of cleanup to do. This is a really tough thing on one person to deal with in so many different levels. Yeah, as you can see, so many uh, difficult uh, issues to clean up after as well. So I hope there's an after. I'm willing to do the work. Uh, it's what life's about. Yeah. And uh, I, I hope this really does bring you and your family uh, closer together again. Um, you know, you having that support system is, you know, goes beyond words. I mean, it's family. Absolutely. No question. If yeah. you've got nothing, you have your family. Right. And, uh, and you know. And that's your role in this, and I, I really uh, can't thank you enough for it. Oh, well, everyone read my blog post. I explain everything there. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Thanks, Ed. <laughs> so that's our show for tonight. Uh, we want to thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Please follow us on Twitter at UnhingedPC and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast. Also, be sure to check out our website if you haven't done so already. It's at unhingedpodcast.com. We'll see you all next week. Bye, everybody.